Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. This episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment to the first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. And today, guys, I want to welcome Jeremy Hurd um, from the um, Palm Beach County Fire Rescue Department, and he is both a, um, a chaplain and an EMS captain. And the reason why we have Jeremy on today is the topic of suicide. And as many of you know, that uh, people that suffer from substance abuse, uh, addiction of any kind, uh, suicide is a big, big part of that. And it's something that has really been brought to the forefront in my world, you know, this year. Uh, there's been some personal experiences that, that I've had where suicide has been an issue. And, and it's just a tragedy, an unexplainable tragedy that occurs, and I know that many of you have experienced this as well, and I think that this last year has been something that has really highlighted this this particular issue, and I wanted to have Jeremy come in and talk to us about suicide, uh, the causes, the conditions, the the issues that are out there, because this is something that's near and dear to his heart and uh, does a lot of work down there in Florida. So with that, uh, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you uh, you described it pretty well. It's the it's something that always has been an issue that I think for many many years we just never really talked about, <clears throat> and and we're just talking about it in general in the you know general population. But then as it as it has kind of come into the spotlight a little more when people talk about depression and attempted suicide and it becomes a little more mainstream conversation, then you start looking at what it deals with in the first responder fire rescue world, and then you add to that COVID. And the shutdown and the the job loss, the all, all the different pieces that came to that, and and I think a lot of people are starting to talk about the crisis that is mental health, but specifically leading to suicide. And one of the things that we talk about a lot here is just the difference with how we view suicide awareness and the difference in how we talk about it. So so my even just talking to you today is just a, a kind of a weird thing for me because. If you had said something to me about, first of all, doing a podcast years ago, I would have I would have asked you probably what it was. And now I have one that I do as well. And then number two, to be talking about suicide awareness really was not even in my world. I, I'm an EMS captain with Palm Beach County Fire Rescue. I've been working for my department for 17 years coming up here in about a week. It'll be my 17 year anniversary. And, you know, we're, we're here to help people. We're here to do our thing. We're here to be paramedics and firefighters and uh, respond to calls and and to mitigate emergencies. And yet, then you find yourself in the middle of all of it, learning about in the chaplain role, this volunteer role I do, learning about mental health and mental wellness. And unfortunately, same thing for you. I've, I've come face to face with it because of friends and coworkers who have, who have lost their life to suicide in the last few years. And uh, we have some in uh, neighboring departments where we've dealt with some very difficult circumstances. So that's kind of how I got to this point. And a privilege to be on your show because like I said I, I would have never thought I'd be talking about this topic but it's one that needs to be covered. I think you're like me this is not something that I ever in my career thought that I would be doing what we're doing here today a podcast and I'm like you about a year ago I didn't know what a podcast was and here we are well, conducting I, a I podcast. Learned it, I learned about it a little earlier than that but not much <laughs> so um, yeah it's, 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 a, it's a rarity but it's a good opportunity to talk about things and get out there some some information. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I'm glad that we're we're here and we're doing it. And uh, it sounds like you, like me, uh, we ended up in these positions unexpectedly, but we're here because it affected us personally. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast today, there's a reason why that you're listening to this podcast, because there's someone in your life that may be suffering from this. Maybe you're suffering from some issues that, you know, maybe you're suicidal right now uh, or having those thoughts right now. And so, Jeremy, maybe just kind of go back to the beginning beginning and walk us through this because uh, you didn't start in this field, did you? I mean, you, you're, you're a chaplain, you're, you're uh, with the fire department. So 
How did we get to where you and I are here today talking about this subject? Well, I got to tell you, uh, as a as a young man growing up in Kansas City, Missouri area, and um, you know, kind of figuring out what I was going to do with my life, uh, decided that I was going to go into ministry. And it's a rare thing for people to probably want to go into at that age, but that's just where how I was raised, where I was raised, and it's something I wanted to do. So I actually went and got a ministry degree, um, taught at a, at a small private school and worked at a church for a few years out of, out of college and then ended up shifting over into the not-for-profit fundraising world and American Cancer Society, Muscular Dystrophy Association and learned some different things there. And then really met some people who encouraged me to be a firefighter. I thought they were crazy. I said, who, who wants to go into a burning building? And um, never really had ever considered it. Decided to look into it. And that's a very long story, but basically ended up here and I'm working in this job and uh, had a, and and because of my background, some people had already started calling me Reverend, um, very uh, lovingly and affectionately, of course. Uh, no no ridicule at all. And so I was kind of that was kind of what I was known as. And so I, you know, just kind of kept doing my thing. And a few years into the job, said, Hey, do we have a chaplain program? And Palm Beach County Fire Rescue is very large. We had, I don't know what the numbers were at the time. We have about fourteen, fifteen hundred people. Very large department. And uh, as a young guy, I really didn't even have a place to, to do this because with seniority and everything else, I wasn't a part of uh, my plans. But I said, hey, would you be interested in starting one? And she said, yeah, we'd like to. So I started the process of beginning a clergy, um, basically is what I was going to do. And I was going to become the chaplain liaison and get local clergy to help and come in when we needed them. So when somebody in a certain battalion had an issue, we'd find out what their background was and connect them with the local priest or rabbi or pastor, whoever it needed to be. And through a tragedy, one of our, our men was uh, shot and killed at lunch uh, on, a, on a break from class one day back in 2008, um, March, uh, right at the beginning of March 2008. Uh, they, they shifted from me being a chaplain liaison to just being the chaplain. And my first act was to basically oversee and run this uh, line of duty death funeral. Uh, it had a couple thousand people attending. And so it's kind of brought in very quickly. Fortunately, with my ministry background, I knew about it. And so I, I shifted into my comfort mode like most of us do. And my comfort mode was this, was the scripture and my comfort mode was faith. And my comfort mode was the Bible. So people would ask me a question and I'd go that route and help them from a faith background. If you know anything about firefighters, you know that um, firefighters, for the most part, have really good hearts and want to do things for people. But don't tend, and I don't want to generalize or over overgeneralize or stereotype, but tend to not do church. And so I found that I, I wasn't able to be effective if all I was doing was giving them advice from scripture. So I started looking at some other things and started learning that there's this mental health thing that, that attacks firefighters because of what we see. And I was experiencing the what you see part already. I, in my first few years, ran many of my worst calls that I've still to this day have ever run and started to see how my faith coped and how my my prayer and my and meditation and um, just my, my faith in God helped me, family, all of that. And I know I noticed there were some firefighters who didn't have that. And I noticed that there were firefighters who turned to other things to try to to try to find that joy and try to find that comfort. And what happened was we also ran some really gruesome, awful scenes that were suicide scenes. So you take kind of all of that combined, and I started to learn that, hey, there's I need to kind of expand my my realm here, my understanding, my knowledge. So I started studying and I went to take some classes, suicide prevention classes, and um, got with the military, the Coast Guard, <clears throat> started to learn about some of the specifics and started to realize what a problem it was throughout the country, but also what a problem it was throughout just the, the fire service and first responder world. And what I found was that in the, in the general civilian population, the numbers were not really accurate because a lot of places just wouldn't ever put cause of death as suicide. They would put something else such as, um, you know, heart attack, or which was true, the heart stopped, but the heart stopped because they overdosed on drugs, you know, or right. a, traumatic, a traumatic incident, like they, 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 a car colliding with a, a train. Well, it's because they intentionally ran into the train. So it was a lot of those types of things you started to find <clears throat> made it difficult to track. Well, fire departments and first responders are even more secretive than that because we watch out for our brothers and sisters. So a lot of it was very um, inaccurate, uh, and, and I think most of it was very well-intentioned. <clears throat> the idea was we want to protect these people and 
the real numbers didn't get out. And so I, I remember uh, taking a class with Dan DeGrice, who is a, uh, he, he runs the, uh, there's a clinic up in, in Rockford, Illinois, and he's a retired battalion chief with Chicago. And he had done some studies and they were averaging about two suicide deaths for their department for the last 25 years. So basically they had 50 suicides in, in 25 years. <clears throat> and I thought, man, that seems like a lot. And so I started studying with him, talking to him, got to communicate with a friend of mine named Dina Ali, who's in North Carolina that really studies this stuff and started to learn about what really is going on in this world. And it was, it was overwhelming to the point where I was like, I have to do something. So I kept taking these classes, <clears throat> kept learning. And then I also had the personal experience of interacting with people who we helped get, you know, awareness to helped with coping skills and who are still here. And then unfortunately dealt with some people we tried to help who were able to complete suicide um, later on. And you walk through those, those valleys with people and some, you help and some you do your best and you can't. And I think that's where I got involved in this. Hey, how, how do we start teaching suicide awareness? And, and I truthfully don't call it suicide prevention. I don't like the term because it puts a little, it puts a lot of guilt on the, the helpers, the people who are the family members who are coming in trying to help and speak into these lives. <clears throat> and if they're unsuccessful and someone takes their life, then they feel as though they failed them. And, and the reality is, you can only offer it that individuals have to make their choice. And so I, I don't use that terminology very specifically, but suicide awareness is very close and near and dear to my heart because I've seen it work. And I've seen people who have, who I thought were going to take their life at any moment who are now have gotten help, maybe for the co-occurring substance that they were dealing with or whatever, but now they're back with their family. They're, they're back in their job They're and they're not just living, they're thriving. And so I've seen that happen. And it's not because of me, but it's because of people like me who found those individuals and have, and have offered help and said, let's get you to where you need to go to get you the help. Yeah. And that is so true. And much of the work that I do is in the recovery world for alcoholism and prescription drug abuse and, you know, all, all sorts of addictions. And I think that the same can be said with addictions. And that is that we're here just to provide the information. That's why I like that you're using the term um, suicide awareness, you know, and that's what I do too, is just give people an awareness because it, at the end of the day, when, when all this is said and done, uh, people have to make their own cho choices. We, we can provide information and we need to provide the best information that we can and spread it as far and wide as we can. But if you're out there and you're working with someone, whether it's substance abuse or uh, somebody's contemplating suicide, you're providing the information, but you're, you're not responsible for what people do with that information. Uh, would you agree with that? Definitely agree with it. And I think that's a great way of putting it is um, it's, it's, it's basically one of those things where you have to do everything you can to give them the opportunity. And then they just, it's the no, same thing. They have to make that decision themselves. And I've also, you know, one of those things that <clears throat> I think has to be a, a, a dispelled myth <clears throat> is that idea that people have heard the terminology suicide is a permanent, a permanent fix for a temporary solution, mm -hmm. a, a permanent solution for a temporary problem. Sorry, I got right. that confused. And, and I, and I, I, I've probably, I probably said it years ago, and then you talk to someone who's been through it and it is so opposite of that. Um, it is not a temporary uh, problem they're having. It, it is a permanent problem. And um, th there is the rarity and we've experienced it down here a couple of times with some people around here, but there, there is the rare exception where there's somebody who just snaps one day and just has had enough and just has never thought about it before, but just goes, you know what? Suicide is an option and then just does it on a whim, but it's so rare it's typically a pattern that builds over time. And what we've seen and what we've experienced is these individuals have finally gotten to a point where they have either been convinced or have convinced themselves that this is the only way out. And, and what I say to people is I've experienced this because I have friends and, and, and these friends are people who have gotten to the point where they have a suicidal ideation that is so intense and overpowering that they just don't think they can move on. And so they've gotten to the point where they've either attempted it or have been successful at, at attempting it. And the ones who have attempted it and have survived, I've talked to a couple of them. Um, I know one, one friend actually got stopped on his way 
to, to complete suicide and, and a family member stopped him and found his note and kept him from making that decision. So I've talked to these people afterwards and I've, I've said, I've, you know, some of them are just amazing people. They're great husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, you know, and I've said, I said to the, the one guy, I said, hold on. I said, your, your wife and your daughter love you to death. Like, and I didn't know the individual at the time, but I said, how, how did you get to a point where you thought they'd be better off without you? They, they, they adore you. They, he said, I had, con- I was convinced that their life was better if I wasn't in it. And if I was in it, I was going to ruin it for them. He said, I, I had, I said, well, how do you feel about that? And he goes, well, it's stupid <laughs> He goes, I know now that makes no sense at all. He said, but that's where my brain was. And so these friends and family who I've walked through this with have told me very similar stories. It's everybody, basically it's the brain convinces you these individuals are just going to be so much better off if I'm not here in their life ruining it for them. Um, and there's just no hope. There's no, there's no other way out except for this. And this is the gift of mercy I can give to my family. This is me helping their lives be better. And we all know we've walked on the other side of this. It's not, you know, you, 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 you watch the other side and then as a chaplain, I've done many funerals and I'm sitting there doing a funeral for, you know, a, a, a firefighter who has died from suicide and I'm trying to explain to the wife and three children why that why that happened. And I can't. And I and I definitely don't I definitely know they don't think their life is better without that person there. And years later it doesn't change. It's a traumatic thing that those individuals have to face. So it's getting the word to people who are at that point that there is hope, there is something else, but it's also getting word to everybody else to be on the lookout. And and I use the term relationship it's building relationships for, with people so that you can notice a difference and notice a change mm-hmm. it's noticing what's happening in their life and saying wow this is somebody who used to be happy cheery fun they're miserable or this is somebody who used to be a loner and is now hanging out with everybody all of a sudden well m- maybe life got good for them maybe life got bad maybe it's not suicide but but if you really know people and you see a huge change addictive behaviors there's some there's some questions you can start asking to figure out where are we at here, and if this is just a temporary little blip in their in their radar, okay. But if this is something that's long term, we need to step in and get them help before they look to suicide as an option. So, Jeremy, let me ask you, um, and before we do, I'm, I I got a few questions for you if you don't mind, if you can stay with us, uh, can you do that? Yes, sir. Sure okay. Can. On the other side of, of this break, well, I'm going to ask you some questions because I just find this to be very, very important and very interesting. And uh, I know the listeners do too. Uh, But first, guys, this episode is sponsored by FHE Health. FHE Health has been providing life-changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach. Recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community, they've created Shatterproof, a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and for our community. Learn more at FHEHealth.com. So, Jeremy, um, so you mentioned that many people that you've worked with that were in this situation prior, later after getting help, and uh, working on themselves, look back, and they can't believe that they were at that point. And I know in my own life, in my own recovery, I I just mentioned this to somebody the other day, that I look back at my situation, and when I tell my story, and this is almost a decade later, I feel like I'm talking about a different person. And that sounds like what you're describing here, that down the road, people look back and, and they think, God, I can't believe I was thinking that. I mean, what was what was I thinking? And... um. Let's start off. Let me let me take this in a couple of parts. First of all, are you noticing any trends? Are there trends that lead to people getting to the point to where they think that leaving Earth in this dimension is the best solution? Is it substance abuse? Is it uh, untreated depression? Or you know, just from your looking at the landscape, are you what sort of trends are you seeing that lead to this? Because this can help us sort of. Um, address that if we recognize it in ourselves or if we recognize it in somebody that we know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, I don't know if there's a specific pattern with specifically substance abuse. And I mean, typically a lot of that goes hand in hand, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, 
but but what that comes down to is um, unsuccessful coping mechanisms. So you 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 have these healthy coping skills, and so the the person who's mentally and emotionally healthy and happy and things are going well, as trauma and stress come to them, they deal with it. So whether whether it's you know a hobby, whether it's prayer, whether it's faith, whether it's a conversation, whether it's counseling, whatever, um, they, they they deal with it. And what I find is the people who, pretty much across the board, those people who no longer find help in the stuff they used to find help in, uh, end up down that path towards suicide because now this thing that should work isn't working. And actually, even even people who use and you probably you I'm sure you know this better than I do. Even people who use alcohol and drugs as a coping skill. Some people are very successful at that by, you know, just self-medicating to a certain extent and obviously not condoning it, but all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, Ooh, yeah. This, this one overcame that. We, all, we always that, say uh, it works until it doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> it and works I, until that, it doesn't. Yeah. That, that to me, that's the, the thing I see over and over again. Now, there's a lot of the things that you kind of see overlap, but that's the one thing I see over and over again is, that whatever that coping skill, whatever it is that made them feel better, just isn't doing it anymore. And once again, some of those are healthy coping skills, some of them those are unhealthy healthy, but either way, they're not working anymore. And so suicide all of a sudden becomes a viable option. The other thing that I think for first responders, specifically firefighters, is we experience suicide. Um, because we run these calls where you see a stu- suicide, it it almost it almost implants that idea in the head. Not that People don't know what suicide is, but when you see it up close, I mean, I've, I, I've been sitting at fire station houses where with people who I think are very, very mentally healthy and emotionally healthy, and the subject comes up where somebody goes, well, how would you kill yourself? <laughs> I'm sitting there going, that question just get asked? Yeah. And of course, because we've just run a suicide call, and so it's a way to diffuse the situation and go, well, the way I'd do it, I, I wouldn't do it like they just did it. Like, And there's this actual conversation that takes place, and you're, and I... Remember the first time I heard that I'm sitting there going, that can't be happening right now. This is this is bizarre. And then you start to hear people say, well, I wouldn't hang myself because it stretches your neck out. I, I wouldn't shoot myself because it gets blood all over the place. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't. And you, and you, you hear somebody give their idea of a way that would be um, peaceful. And, and, and it's and then you have the conversation, you get done and you, and you walk away. And I think, well, I need to get help for all these people. And then I realize none of them are thinking about taking their life. It's just part of your, it's part of the deal. It's part of the life we lead that they know about it, that we all are aware of suicide and and what happens and how it's done. So the problem is when a firefighter, specifically a first responder gets to, gets to the end of all that's working and suicide becomes an option, it's a more natural option too, because they see it and experience it and understand it. So all of that kind of goes hand in hand with the people that I've experienced it with and have walked through this with, because I say, wow, you start to put these pieces together, and that's kind of what comes out of it. Yeah, and I, I have to tell you from the police and the FBI side where I come from, um, I, I never really thought of it until I got out of the, the profession or I started being around, you know, because what's typical with law enforcement officers and first responders in general, and I'm sure it's the same with firefighters, is that while we're in the profession, we tend to really only associate with people <laughs> in the profession, which, by the way, folks, if you're police, fire, EMS, uh, or an agent uh, or the military, that's not a real healthy thing to do. It's good to have, to know people outside of your, your profession and be involved in things that have nothing to do with your profession. I've learned that over the years. Um, but what I found was by being in those environments, death and destruction became normalized. I was, you know, I was yeah. a big city police officer and I, it, I just, I think there's just, the fact that you're exposed to it constantly, that there's almost a normalization to it. And 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 I found myself being able to sit with my colleagues at work and we would talk about death scenes, you know, like we were talking about the game on television last night and think nothing of it. And then I would go home and have this relay the same conversation to my wife or somebody I knew. And they're, they're just horrified, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're talking. Yep. And you're like. But and I I remember it just got to the point where, like I couldn't understand what do you what do you mean this is this is what I did at work all day and and other people aren't prepared and so that's listen this this is the helping profession it is God bless you if you're a first responder um, 
it's it's an honorable profession, and and I wouldn't change it for the world. I I felt like I self served the community, but you have to recognize going in, and I don't think we do enough of this with the recruits that come into this profession. Um, when they start early on, you need to understand what this profession does to you. It is not normal. You were not designed to see what you see day in and day out and yep. recognize what it does to you, but get help early and do all the things that Jeremy is talking about in taking care of yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. You have to take care of all those things. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, we, we've actually taken it a step further here. And what we try to do with our, um, we, we try to make sure that we talk to our recruits early on. So we have a 12-week a, a program and we we spend we spend that first week probably two or three separate times talking about here's what's coming here's what's happening if you aren't aware of it here's what's going to be coming at you here's the support mechanisms in place for you here's how we can help you here's how you can get help and i agree because of that very reason the state of florida actually uh, incorporated a um an emotional wellness behavioral health component to the minimum standards now so out of the 480 hours i think it is now there's an eight-hour day dedicated to cancer prevention, emotional health, physical safety, fitness, kind of an overarching thing that we helped write the curriculum for. And it's, and you know, I said, I go, it's a drop in the bucket. It doesn't handle it all, but at least gets the awareness level at a little higher point going into this job. Yeah. Cause I know when I started out in this profession, there was none, uh, none, none, yeah. none, none. Uh, yeah, and yeah. it was, yeah, we got to do, we got to do more of that. And so, when in the people that you're working with, and when you finally get to the point where okay, I'm working with an individual, and and I am going to get them help, meaning meaning Jeremy, Jeremy's going to get me help. You you come and you work with me. What kinds of things have you done in the past to help people? What what where do you point people in direction? Uh, you mean like when they come to me in crisis? Yes. Um. Well, first of all, I, I guess I, I normally say this when I start stuff, but I want to make sure. I, I'm not an expert. <laughs> I, and I tell you that here on the, the show, first of all, but also you know, when people come and talk to me, I tell them, I said, I'm not an expert. I said, I will listen to you. You can vent all you want and I will help wherever I can, but I will try to get you to the expert. So I think first of all, knowing who your resources are, um, we have an amazing employee assistance program here, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to myself and think that all 40 or 45 or 50, however many people we have, that all of them are amazing. I'm sure some of them are m- much better than others, but I've tried to do my research to figure out who is, is giving us really good counseling and people having good experience with it. So, so know that and have those, have those in your back pocket, but also know your recovery centers in the area, know which ones work, which ones are just in it for a buck. Because if you have that, that information set aside and ready to go, then you're able to go, okay, this is a, somebody who's in crisis. Let me go help right now. Um, and I think that's the key is you're able to step back and go, okay, this person needs help. I need to be able to send them there. So I'll find a good employee assistance program, a good clinician. Another thing I'll do is we, we've developed a peer support program here where sometimes there are people who just need to talk to someone they know, someone that's a peer who's been through it and understands that they don't want to go talk to a clinician. So I've tried to encourage our people to start taking some classes on peer support because then you get ahead of it too, where you can get someone and go, Hey, seems like you're in a little bit of crisis. You're not to the point where you're thinking about suicide, but that may be something come down the road if you're not careful. So let me get you to talk to this, this guy or girl. And so I'll connect them with somebody who has some similar experience. Go grab some coffee, go have a conversation. But if someone truly is in crisis, then I think that's when you get the professionals involved. You need to have the people, and I have three or four counselors who I know I can call them at any moment and go, hey, you got a problem here. I need, the, I need you to meet with this person right now. So, um, the one thing I'll say is there's not a one size fits all. And I think, you know, that everybody's different and yeah. we all connect differently with people. So, you know, having a few different options is really important. Um, that, that's very important. So that it's probably, it's a, I know it's a little bit of a general answer, but that's how I handle it. The, the other thing too is this is, this is going to sound weird to people who've never talked about this before, but the other thing is you just, you ask straight up. Um, I learned this in the suicide awareness classes I took. Is if you if you really think someone's thinking about taking their life, you ask them about it. And I was always a little weirded out by that because I thought, well, I'm I'm going to give somebody the idea, and they're like, no, you're not. And I've learned since then, you're not. So what you do is you just you see that the, the the path the conversation is taking, and 
I, I do a very soft approach to it. And I just say, this is going to be, this is going to sound a little awkward, but you know, I'm listening to you and I care about you. So I'm going to ask you a tough question right now. And the question is this, have you thought about harming yourself or do you have a plan to hurt yourself? And I don't even necessarily initially use the word kill yourself, but start there. And if they kind of beat around the bush, then I can move to the, are you thinking about killing yourself? Then you get in, the, in a real true class, you get in the questions about, what, you know, what would be your plan? How would you do it? Do you have the means? All, all those types of questions. But anybody can ask that question. And, not, and people hear that and they go, no, no, I'm not trained. If you have a concern that somebody's really thinking that way, you're like, man, this is a very, this is a tough conversation. I, I'm not sure they're going to make it past today. You ask that question and if they don't sound like they're going to, and you go, hey, would you be willing to let me go help, go take you to get some help? I had a circumstance about two months ago where I have a guy that I work with and I noticed something right away one morning and I'm like, he's not right. And another person noticed the same thing and came to me because I'm the quote unquote expert, even though I tell everybody I'm not. <laughs> and, and sometimes when you get that, get that uh, reputation, people are going to bring everybody to you. But he goes, Hey, I'm, no, I'm worried about that guy. And I go, yeah, I'm a little concerned too. He goes, what are we going to do? I said, let me go talk to him. So I had a conversation and just, you know, and he wasn't responding very much. And I said, well, what's going on? And he shared a little bit what was happening, what was difficult and going on at the time. And I could tell he, and I just said, listen, I need to ask you a question. Are you so depressed right now? Cause I can tell this is a tough thing. Are you so depressed that you're going to hurt yourself? And he just kind of looked at me and goes, Ugh, I don't know. Well, that's not the right answer. <laughs> I don't know. It's not the right answer. Cause that means he thought about it. So I said, okay. So I asked, I said, what are you thinking? You know, have you thought about it? And he goes, well, uh, you know, I don't want to be away from my family. So I know I would. So I started ap appealing to that. Well, let's figure out a way to get you help. So you, within a day, during that day, got a hold of one of our um, a psychiatrist, we know, and a psychologist, we know, and they got him in right away and realized that he he needed some uh, medication that he had not been taking and he didn't realize it. Got him in and within a couple of days, he came back and he was a totally different person. I'm like, wow. That was amazing. And all it took was just one question. I didn't do anything except ask the question. The experts did what they needed to do. I don't understand how all that medication works and everything else, but that's what he needed to, to get him back to what he, where he's supposed to be. Well, all of us can do that because all of us can say, hey, I recognize something's different here. Let me help. And that's, that's why I try to encourage people when it comes to suicide awareness. Don't be afraid to ask that question, especially the people you care about, because they're not going to go, how dare you ask me that? No. <laughs> I've never had anybody ask me that. Instead, it's, wow, you care enough that I know how hard that was for you to ask that question. You care enough about me to ask that question. So don't be afraid to ask it. You know, it's funny that you say that because when I reflect back on my own situation, I, in my career, only had one person, one person ever directly confront me about drinking. And later, when I got into recovery, um, I was what irritated me was not so much that that individual approached me but later when I found out there were other people that felt the way that he did and wanted to say something and didn't, that bothered me more than the fact that the guy confronted me. And later, before he retired, I actually thanked him for, for doing that. Um, I actually think that people, it's almost like, almost like they're waiting for somebody to say something. And you pointed out something, and that is that when you make that direct question, that hesitation in the answer um, tells you a lot about the the state that the person is in because if they were not contemplating this, then the answer would be absolutely not. You know, no, not going to happen. But the fact that there was a hesitation means that there was at least some consideration. And and I think that people need to be very cognizant of those clues. That that hesitation says something in and of itself. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And I think I've never had anybody be upset about the fact I asked them. I've probably asked, I was thinking about the other day, probably 15, 20 people. It's not, it's not, <laughs> I want to make sure we're clear. It's not something you just walk up and start asking people, Hey, Oh no. Think about hurting yourself. Like it's not, we don't want it to become a flippant thing, but, but I mean, it's probably 15, 20 people that I've asked and not one person has ever gotten mad at me. One of those people I didn't even know, didn't know him, never understood, didn't know anything about his story. And he ended up standing on a street corner next to me, because uh, he was looking for some help, and I happened to be in the, I think, at the right place at the right time. Initially, I thought it was the wrong place at the wrong time, and he started telling me a story and wanted help, and I just happened to be there, and I just looked at him, and I go, listen, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. 
but you're sharing this with me. So I'm going to ask you a question if it's okay. And it's going to be a tough one. And he goes, okay, this guy was bigger than me, stronger than me, a stud athlete. I'm like, this guy, this guy's going to rip me in half when I ask him this. And I just said, I go, it's going to be a tough question, but you seem like you want help. So the question is this, have you thought about harming yourself or killing yourself? And he looked at me, started laughing. He goes, no, not at all. But thank you for asking me that. And, and we went on our way and I got him some help. And, but like, that's somebody I don't even know. It, it's, it's never been something that's backfiring on, oh, I never should ask that question. So you feel the situation out and you ask it. But I think your emotion towards that person who didn't ask you is what I hear more than anything else. Why didn't anybody ask me? And I just got to tell you, the people who are listening right now, I, I am passionate about this because I've been in too many situations where I have sat there late on a Saturday night, late on a Sunday night, late on whatever night it is or whatever day it is, sitting with, with a group of people who are racking their brains trying to figure out what they missed. And inevitably, somebody goes, man, I knew there was a concern, but I thought he was okay. And, and or, or man, I wish I had asked him this, or I wish I had been, it's all the regrets. It's all the, I wish I had, if only I had. And I don't want that for anybody. It is a painful, painful thing to go through. So ask the question, find out what's going on. And if there's no issue, great, move on to something else. But if there is, you can offer help to them by getting them to someone who can professionally get them the advice they need. Now, have you done that? Have you made many recommendations to an actual center? Uh, not just in individuals and experts, but I mean, um, it, like for drugs and alcohol, you can go to a treatment center. Are there centers that, that people can go to uh, with this particular issue? If you haven't already identified, you know, because as you mentioned earlier, it may be that they have a co-occurring substance use disorder or other known uh, mental health condition. But uh, if, if you're not aware of that, is there uh, a center, uh, any treatment facilities, kind of like you have drugs with an alcohol um, yeah, there are, there are some, I, I kind of stay out of that mode and give that to the professionals because what I found is you, you hit, you hit it on the head. Most places deal with co-occurring dependencies. And what I found, I, I didn't know anything about this world at all until a few years ago, but I remember re- referring someone to a place that I really respect a lot. I'm like, Oh, this is a great place. They're going to love it. And I, and I sent the guy to connected the two people and they both got the funny because yeah, I won't work out. I said, why? He goes, well, I'm not, I'm not experiencing anything other than mental health and some trauma. He goes, I don't have any, I don't have any alcohol or stuff. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Well, to go to that place, you had to have that with it. So I, I didn't know any of that. So I, man, I'm learning about all these terms like IOPs and POPs and um, all these different acronyms that I couldn't keep up with. So what I've done is when it comes to those that are specifically just for mental health and suicide awareness, I, I, I make sure that the people I know, those, clinicians that I respect, they have a pretty good understanding of the networks that are involved and who to, who to go with. And so even just recently, um, a very dear friend of mine was struggling with some stuff and we, I got her to a counselor and I knew that she was suicidal, got her to a counselor about three months ago. And that counselor went through and said, Hey, here's four options and here's the order I would recommend them in based on your need. And so then, I mean, it's weird, but then it comes down to, well, how much does each one cost? Um, what's covered, what, you know, where is it at? Um, cause that's the other thing is there's, there's some considerations to take, you know, there are some, some, there's something to be said for being near your home and being able to go to a place where, you know, family can visit you occasionally. And then there's something to be said for in certain cases where you need to be far away from home where nobody can visit you and you can't just take an Uber home. Um, you know, so there's a lot of factors other than just, okay, that facility is good or that, that facility is not. The other thing that I found is there are some that are faith-based, some that are not. So it really depends on the person and what they're looking for. Um, once again, I think that goes back to what I talked about at the beginning, do your homework. Uh, know what they are. I know around here the recovery centers that are available and kind of what fits the people, and I, and I, and I try to stay out of it so nobody ever thinks that I'm giving them an opinion or you, know, you get that impression that, well, I'm recommending this place because – uh, you know, I, I know the owner there and they, or, or there's some other type of weird thing going on. I never want that. So I try to get them to the right people who make those decisions and are the professionals. Because I, like I said, I'm, I'm a chaplain who just wants to help people and I'm an EMS captain. So I, I try to stay in my lane. But there are people out there who can tell you what's really good. And I, I tell people right now, look at the reviews on it. Look at it's almost 
sounds silly, like a Yelp thing, but look at the reviews, look at the people, the, 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 the testimonials of the people who've been there, who it's worked for, find out what, why it worked, what's it look, and what are you looking for, and what are you trying to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. And so as we wrap up, uh, any final words, um, words of advice for anybody that's out there, um, anybody that may be uh, thinking about suicide right now, what would you say if they're listening right now? When it comes to the people, I'd like to take two messages here. One, for the people who are doing well and things are going well in your life, keep an eye out for the people who aren't. Um, Sometimes someone just needs another person to care about them. There's a great story of, and my mind is blanking on the young man's name, but there's a great story of a guy who was riding the bus out to the um, Golden Gate Bridge uh, and was going to end his life out there. And I guess it's one of the places that has the most suicides per year or something like that because people will jump off the side. Yeah, I think it's the Golden Gate Bridge, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and he was on his way there. And he, he, ended up, he ended up getting off the bus, walking out to the edge, and then jumping, and he survived. Hardly anybody survives. The percentages are so low. And he tells his story now because he's, he's doing amazingly well and basically looked at it as life as a second chance. But his comment was, he goes, if just one person on that bus, if just one had seen me and noticed that something was wrong and said, hey, can I help you? He goes, a stranger. He said, I would not have done it. And so many people who are, who are thinking about completing suicide just want somebody to care enough to stop them, to ask them what's going on. So that's my first encouragement is, is be looking for the issues and the people around you and changes so that you can help them. Number two, if you are someone who's thinking about it, find hope. I know that sounds very simplistic, but find your reason. And I know there's a friend of mine right now and she'll tell you her reason is her two little girls and the things that have been done to her and the things that have happened to her are just awful. And I would, many people have said a lot of people would have ended their life with what she went through, but it's not, but there's something to hold on to. So find your hope. First of all, number two, find the people that that you can you can pour into yourself and find help find the person who understands you find the professional find the facility do whatever it takes um it's it sounds very simplistic and it's very hard to do because when you're at the end of yourself and you don't think there's anywhere else to go it's hard to turn it turn it to somebody else because people who have gotten there typically have been failed multiple times typically they have they have been let down, they have been betrayed, and they're afraid to trust anybody else. And, and my encouragement to people who are going through that is give it, give it one more shot. <laughs> give people another chance. And if they let you down, they let you down. But try it again. There's, you have nothing to lose. And, 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 I, and I always tell people there are people who care about you and would be devastated to not have you in this life. The problem is they probably haven't told you. And what I found is the people who are kind of caught before they are able to carry it out, find out how much people care about them and love them because they sit down with these conversations and they go, Oh, wow. Oh, you wait, you would be devastated if I wasn't here. And people are just in tears going, yes, I, I would, I don't know how I would survive without you here. And so these things that we don't say to people, we should, <laughs> But don't don't take silence as people thinking that it's going to be okay if you're not around. They probably don't even know what you're going through. So reach out, get help, take a risk, and it's worth it because it could save your life. Yeah, and that's a great point. And, you know, I learned that in recovery myself is, you know, you got to remember that other people are going through their stuff too. And just because somebody that you care about isn't telling you how much they care about you and you think that no one cares around you, it, it – may not be that they don't care. It's just that everybody's got their own issues going on and they just may not be aware of the struggle that you're going through. And And maybe a key takeaway, Jeremy, to what you're saying right now is that maybe we should do a better job and I need to do a better job of letting the people that we truly do care about know that we care about them and, and how much they mean to us. And you never know uh, what effect that will have on someone. 
that that somebody does care about you and there are people that will help you oh i i know uh one final thing i'm going to ask you before we go is this because i know i get this from a lot of first responders hey mike I would love to get help. There are a lot of people I work with that would love to go to treatment, would love to go to a psychiatrist, would love to go get all kinds of help, but they won't because they're afraid that they'll lose their job. Um, have you run into that? And what do you tell somebody oh, that tells you that? Yes, for sure. Um, well, the first thing I tell people is your life is more valuable than your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds very simplistic, but I try to remind people, hey, let, let's let's look at priorities here. A job is a job and I get it. And with first responders, it's more than a job. I totally understand that it's, you know, a career, a lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. But it is a job and we can find something else that you can do to make money to make a living. That's the first thing. Second thing is don't be afraid of that part of it because there are rules about HIPAA, um, you know, patient confidentiality, things like that. Um, It's, in my department, I'm very blessed, especially all, all over South Florida down here. We have some really good departments who've been very progressive about this and tell people, hey, go get the help. We'll figure out the other stuff later. And and they protect them, you know, whatever they can to protect them. And if they can do the job, they get them back and get them to do the job. I get that not everybody in the world has that, but you're protected by legality, if nothing else. Um, you know, I, I get cops have a little different situation because I get the fact that cops, you know, worried about carrying their gun and um, those types of things, but I know a lot of a lot of police departments are working on that right now. So find out some of the some of the answers. I mean, and you're going to have to look locally at where you're at, look at the resources that are around you, look at your department policies. But I know at least in most fire departments I'm looking at now, they want you to get the help and they yeah. want to bring you back. It used to be that it was oh well, there's a little there's a little mark on their on their file, so we're we're going to have to let them let them go, get them out of here. Well, the stigma has been reduced on this. So we're starting to talk about it more. That's helping. Just do a little research. And then if you're the person who's in your department and you're doing fine and there's other people that aren't, go go um, advocate for them. Advocate with your chief. Talk to them about the possibilities. Yeah, you know, and I think it's true for – everything you just said is true for law enforcement as well, that there there are all kinds of protections in place, and there's laws in place that will protect you. People can't just fire you from a, a job because you're seeking in help. And I know that in reality, we want you to get the help. And I've often said this is if your job is what you're worried about, you not getting help yeah. is what's really going to place your job at risk. Not getting help. It's going to not getting help is what's going to put it more yeah, at risk. That, that's a re- that's a really good point. Um, and, and as I teach around the country, I guess this is my chance to plug my, my, um my little side business that since I didn't have a chance to do that yet, I forgot to my bad. Um, I, I, I work for, I, I have my own business called the herd group and the herd group basically teaches in fire departments, police departments, and municipalities. And that's why we do it because I want to be able to change the environment. I want to change the conversation. And I've taught all around the country. And, um, I mean, I've taught in road and bridges areas. I've taught in police departments, fire departments, et cetera. And, regardless of what position you're in or what department you work for, it's one of the concerns and I get it. So we've had the conversation of exactly what you just said. If you're concerned about your job, then go get it fixed because this is the way to continue keeping that job. But how do we get you the help? Well, let's talk about what awareness there is because some of the help you can do yourself. So that's what we train on. We teach people, here's the coping skills, here's the coping mechanisms. And then if we need to get you to the next help, it's not me, but I can help you get there. And so um, you know, if people need to get a hold of me, I mean, I'm happy to give my number, um, my website, whatever uh, you would like to give out there. But man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all about trying to help people. <laughs> uh, my, my, my tagline is serving our public servants because we have people out there who just see a lot and have dealt with a lot and just need someone to be in their corner. And sometimes we can walk into a place and go, Hey, I know you guys say you care about your people, but here's something you can implement so that your people actually feel cared about. And that's what we want to do is change, change the conversation. Absolutely well said. And with that, so Jeremy, how can somebody listening right now, if they want to get hold of you, how can they get hold of you? Uh, the best way is uh, my phone number. That's my cell phone number, um, 561-254-7791. That's 561-254-7791. I may not answer it the first time because I want to make sure that you're not trying to sell me a car warranty, um, <laughs> like most people have to deal with. Um, but if you leave a message, I will get back to you. And I'm uh, good about texting and 
I think that's an easy way to keep up. And also, you know, my Instagram, Facebook, I have the herd group. Uh, you can connect with me there if you'd like. So the herd group, it's H U R D the herd group, um, both of those as well. And then the herdgroup.org is my website. Any of those ways will work. Uh, but I, honestly, just text me, just text me, give me a call. I'm always happy to help. And sometimes that help is, Hey, you're calling me from Portland, Oregon, and you need help. And my, my, my task may just simply be to take the next 20 minutes to find somebody out there through the network that I have to get you help. Or maybe it's, Hey, we want to have some classes in our department. Let me know. We'll figure it out. I got some great instructors who can teach and we really want to help people get that awareness out. So any opportunity to do that, we've got to get this. We've got to stop this before it gets to suicide. We've got to stop this before people start suicidal ideation. We need to stop this back at the first part. And you've heard Gordon Graham, if you've ever listened to him talk about the Swiss cheese. And if one little hole doesn't line up, you can stop it. And that's what we got to do is we got to get ahead of this. And help people when they get hired and when they're early in their career, have an awareness of what mental health is and how to cope with the things they're going to see. So that suicide doesn't even become an option. And that's what we want to get to. Yeah. So any way I can help you, please call me. Um, let me know. We'll help wherever we can. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And uh, Jeremy, really, I really do appreciate you coming on today. And and folks, I, I hope this is, is helpful for you. You got his information there. We're also going to list uh, his information on my Facebook site, uh, my website as well, some of the uh, information and reach out to them, get help. If you're in an agency that's looking for training to be done, you, you see that uh, uh, the Herd Group does training. So invite them out to your agency to, to get that done as well. Because if you're a police executive or a fire executive, first responder, or any other other group by the way it doesn't i know we talk about first responders here quite a bit because that's my background and jeremy's background but remember this applies to anybody out there so if you have a, a company or a corporation or a group that you think would benefit from a, a talk like this uh then certainly reach out to either me jeremy and uh we if we can't get you a solution to whatever it is that you're looking for we will do the best that we can to point you in the right direction to get For to sure. the solution yep. that you can. So again, folks, with that, uh, this episode's been sponsored by FHE Health. According to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. We've just been talking about that now uh, for this episode. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty and find out more at FHEHealth.com. It's FHEHealth.com. So as I'd like to say, I don't represent any group. I don't represent anyone other than myself. My only purpose and giving this information to you is to share with you what I've done because it's helped me and maybe it will help you too. So if I've said anything or if Jeremy has said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, just just discard that. But try to take <laughs> on any information that you can use for yourself and help others as yeah. well because you know what? Sometimes you just pull out information that uh, that might be that missing link or that key. So that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help to impart the knowledge that we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, and let me know how I'm doing, and let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing. I'd love to hear from you. So folks, take care, and we will see you next time.